Hello, and welcome to the second part of the True Logic DX Masterclass SEO 101. Let's get right to it. You as the marketer, you as the brand owner, you as the professional, what is the most important role you play in all of this? And the most important role you play is in keyword selection. Like this is where you can make it or break it. This is where you can make it or break it. And this is where your greatest influence is over your campaign. When you pick out what search motivations you will want to satisfy. I'll repeat that. It's not just about ranking for keywords, right? SEO is more than just ranking for keywords. It's about you having an understanding about what search motivations you want to satisfy. Because you may not be able to satisfy that search motivation, right? For technical reasons, for bureaucracy reasons, for whatever reasons, philosophical reasons, moral reasons, whatever, right? Technical reasons. But when you're picking out keywords, what you're essentially doing is you're deciding the fields where your brand is going to fight, right? You're deciding the lay of the land where your brand will fight and where it will not fight. And keywords are a way for you to say, okay, I'm going to be relevant for that idea and I'm going to satisfy that search motivation and I'm not going to satisfy these search motivations because nobody satisfies all search motivations, by the way. Nobody satisfies all search motivations. Now, when you're doing your keyword selection and you're driving keyword ideas, there are a couple of things that you need to do. First of all, you need to know your brand, right? What is your brand's identity? Are you a jester brand? Are you a ruler brand? Are you a sage the way we portray true logic to be, right? But what is the identity of your brand? What does your brand say? And what does your brand more importantly not say, right? Now, more than just your brand, you do need to understand the product, the commodity, the service that, that you want to rank, right? If you're trying to, if you want to be relevant for fried chicken, if you want to be relevant for fire extinguisher, if you want to be relevant for office furniture, right? What is the product or service that gets the allocation of your work? And then you need to understand, okay, what search motivator am I gunning for? And how are my users doing a search for that product or commodity or service, right? How are users performing searches for that product, for that commodity, for that service? And you want to type down all of those ideas in, in one page. Now, it's time for you to do the research, right? Let's say office furniture. What kind of office furniture, right? Like what kind of office furniture? Are you talking about desks? Are you talking about chairs? Are you talking about monitors? Custom cabinets, custom lighting, like what are you talking about, right? Let's say cameras. Is it professional cameras or affordable cameras? Those are two entirely different ideas. But it's time for you to do the research and find out who's your target market. If your target market is on a budget, then you don't want to say top of the line professional cameras, right? You don't want to do that. Or latest camera of 2022, Right. If your audience is very budget conscious, they're not likely to click that search result. So that's not probably where you want to pick your fight. So perform a little research, understand how your customers are doing their search, and do a bit of work. Right. You're going to need some tools. You're going to need to understand what search volume is. You'll want to appreciate the value of long tail keywords. I've had this conversation a lot where people don't like long tail keywords because it's got 10 searches a month, 20 searches a month. But that's not the point. The 
long tail keywords tend to be done by people that already know what they want, right? People that do very precise searches are probably more mature down a sales funnel. So your ability to rank for those keywords are higher or your ability to convert those users are higher than if somebody did a search for skin product, right? Which is like very vague. Then expand your selection to any way your users might perform a search because they might do skincare products Makati, skincare products delivery, skincare products available nationwide, skincare products available at Watson's. They might do keyword searches like that. And that's why you do your research. But then you want to check out your competition. If you want to win a keyword, type the query, look at who you're picking a fight with. And if it looks like an SEO did not touch that page, go for it. So... Here are a couple of samples of tools, right? Like for me, one of my favorite tools is the Google Search Suggest. I don't try to be a thesaurus of all variations of keywords. Google is a thesaurus of all variations of keywords. And so this is what I literally do, right? I literally type in a search I want to do. And then Google gives me search suggestions like, oh, here are some of the most popular ways people are performing this search. Right. And all the way to searches related to, like if you go all the way to the bottom, you get searches related to, which are not necessarily the same as search suggest. And I just copy and paste that onto an Excel sheet. But this is how I expand the search results that I do. And then I pick out, okay, I want to pick that fight. I don't want to pick that fight. I, I want to pick that fight. I don't want to pick that fight. The next one is Moz's Keyword Explorer. By the way, the search suggest is the image at the top and the related searches are the one at the bottom. The Moz Keyword Explorer is a third-party tool. Moz has a freemium, I think, for like seven days if you want to try it out. Um, Uber Suggest is another great tool. Answer the Public is free, like especially if you're also coming up with keyword ideas. And the Google Keyword Planner, although you know the search volumes are going to be funky if you don't put in your credit card. But let me show you how I use some of these tools, right? Here's an example. When I use the Keyword Planner and I don't know what keywords to begin with, I go to the keyword planner and I go with the start with, so it'll give you start with discover new keywords or start with a website. And I click on the tab that says start with a website. And then I click run. And then Google will say, oh, here are some of the keywords that I think you are relevant for, right? So without telling Google what I am, it's saying SEO company Philippines, digital marketing Philippines, SEO services Philippines. Google is telling me, I think you're relevant for these ideas. Remember, Google has scanned and remembered your pages. It knows your content. And so it will say, okay, I think you are related to the following ideas, right? And so this is where I start when I'm in a slump for what keywords do I begin with? Okay, the other thing that I do when I pick out keywords is I look at ranking equity. So what you're looking at is just a comparison between, in this case, four brands, right? And I want to take a look at, okay, what keyword here is being ignored? And do I have an opportunity to rank for it? And why does it matter? So let's take this one as an example, right? Metro Bank for personal loan Philippines, right? BPI is 7th, BDO is 15th, Security Bank is 1st, great job. But now I want to know, okay, so is this low-hanging fruit for Metro Bank? And so what I do is I do a site colon search for Metro Bank, and I type in the keyword with quotes in it. Right, I do personal loan, and I want to find out why is MetroBank not relevant for this keyword. It's such an old authoritative website. It's a top of mind brand. How can they not be relevant for this keyword when they have this product? Right, and what I'll see is Google will tell me, "Nope, 
they don't have any pages that precisely match that keyword. And so this is what I mean, right? When I say, yeah, keywords still matter. The exact matchness still matters. If the if Metrobank had no pages where personal loans appears in the URL, in the meta title, in the H1, in the body content, then Google thinks, eh, they're not relevant. They're contextually related, which is what it's offering me here, right? This is what it's offering me here as a, you might want to check out this page. But essentially what Google is telling me is there's nothing precisely related to this topic, right? So what I'm looking for here on ranking equity is what are the keywords? And I'm paying attention to the pink ones, right? The green ones are where they're doing excellent. The pink ones are the opportunities. So if my client were BDO, some of the keywords I would look at might be best bank in the Philippines, where they're where they're number 10. I might look at, well, Pesonet transfer, not so sure. Personal loan Philippines would be a keyword I would go after because that's already ranking equity. I'm on the second page, not quite on the first page, right? Exchange rate USD to PHP because this one's available immediately right on their homepage and so on and so forth. So the items in pink, I don't just look at what they're doing well on. I'm looking at what are they almost doing well on that maybe I should focus my SEO on that, right? So that's another item to look at. The next item is... If I want to rank for that, right? And this was the Metrobank example I gave you guys earlier. Do I even have a page that can support that kind of content, right? And this is another item that I look at whenever I evaluate which keywords to gun for. Because the SEO works faster if I can apply the SEO practices to an existing page than if I had to build a new page specifically to rank for that keyword. Uh, And so this is what this pertains to. All right, let's move on. So talking about search motivations, right? I talked to you guys earlier about navigational keywords, informational keywords, or discovery keywords. I talked about commercial keywords and transactional keywords. But what I have not talked to you guys about is how Google calls these. And, you know, one of the things that I used to joke about is if you hop in an elevator and you're anywhere higher than the fourth floor, chances are you would have encountered somebody hop in the elevator, and then open their Facebook because nothing, right? You don't need to be motivated to open your Facebook. But search is always a highly motivated activity. Always. It's a highly motivated activity. There's a curiosity. They want to know something. They want to go somewhere. They want to do something. They want to buy something. And this is why search is sort of one of my favorite strategies. And so when you build out the content on your page, you have to ask yourself, okay, am I helping facilitate something somebody wants to know? Am I helping facilitate something somewhere somebody wants to go? Am I helping them facilitate, learn a process, do something new? Am I helping them facilitate, make a transaction? And are you creating the best possible buying experience on that page, the best possible how do I navigate my way to that location kind of page is the best possible recipe and how to cook this kind of page is the best possible informational kind of page. Are you helping to satisfy this specific search motivation? Okay. So one last bit. This graph is related to the item where I talked to you guys about long tail keywords. And I think a lot of people put a lot of emphasis on wanting keywords with high search volumes. Like for most people that work on SEO, everybody's always after high search volume, high search volume. No, I don't want that. That only has 10 searches. No, I don't want that. That only has 20 searches. But my question there is, why? 
keywords with 40 searches, 50 searches, 80 searches are probably those 80 searches and those 40 searches are probably being done by people that already know what they want. They've already shopped around, they're past their awareness buying experiences, they're past their discovery phases, they're past their consideration phases, they're in preference. So why not go after those keywords? Would you rather go after a thousand strangers or 20 highly qualified buyers? I will always go after the 20 highly qualified buyers all the time. So it's not always about thousands and thousands of visitors, right? It's about the search motivations and intentions that you're going after, okay? So going back to content and keywords, before you create any content, know the search motivations you're trying to satisfy, right? Put yourselves in the shoes of your audience and then find out, A, what motivated their search? Are they wanting to be aware of something? Are they wanting to discover something? Are they looking to educate themselves about something? Are they looking to buy something? Are they looking to compare brands about something, right? How do you support that keyword? And it's by providing it the correct volume of content against that search intent. And remember, whenever you create commercial content and when you want to rank for a commercial keyword, it's about how do you help them facilitate discovery? How do you talk to them about easing their friction? How do you talk to them about addressing opportunities? All of these matter. Okay? So, moving on. I'll give you guys an example of great content. And then after the content section, I'll take a quick break to address some of the questions because the questions are piling up, which in my opinion is terrific, right? Because you guys are turning this into a conversation. So here's an example of why terrific content matters, right? What is the search motivator for Manila weather, right? Like what is this, what is, what motivates you when you type in Manila weather? Like, what is the persona of the user that types that? What is the persona uh, of the person with the mobile phone that did that? Why did somebody type in, you know, why did somebody type in Manila weather, weather in Manila, and so on and so forth? Now, one of the things that I want to drag your attention to here is who's the most authoritative source for weather information in the country? Pagasa, right? Pagasa is the single most authoritative source of weather information in the country. But in, in this search result, notice how it is one, two, three, four, the fifth result. How come Google is offering a snippet, a top story result from Rappler? How come Google is preferring the weather network over Pagasa, right? Why, why does it do this? Because if you go to the Pagasa website, right? If you go to the Pagasa website, this is what you see, right? Who is this content built for, right? Who's this content built for? I can only explain this in one way, right? It is because the search motivator for the person that built this page is, oh, I want a page for people that aspire to be meteorologists, <laughs> right? But what if I'm not an aspiring meteorologist? Like if you guys check out the search volume on Philippine weather, like especially July, August, September, it's fairly high, like it's in the tens of thousands. Clearly there are not tens of thousands of aspiring meteorologists in this country, right? And so the people are, that are performing the searches are, let's say, moms, right? Moms are performing the search. Why are they performing the search? 
should I send my kids to school? Should I pack their raincoats? Should I have them bring an umbrella? Should I drive them or should, should I allow them to commute, right? Like this is the search motivator of the mom, right? A dad, should I commute to work? How should I dress? Should I bring an umbrella? Should I bring the car, right? Like these are the motivators for that search. And this page absolutely does not address it. Like, let's talk about a single person, right? I want to go to Boracay. Is it ideal to go in the next two weeks? Right? And this page does not answer that. And so to me, it is super fair that Google puts it as the fifth result, right? Because it doesn't answer any of these search motivations. Now, look at how Rappler addresses this, Right? This is how Google addresses it, or this is how Rappler addresses it. It talks about, hey, is it dangerous to be outside? Should you dress for the weather? What should you be worried about if you are in Cavite, Metro Manila, or Rizal? Right? What should you do in case of massive floods? There are inner links going to, to rainfall advisories, and so on and so forth. But look at the content that Rappler puts out. And this, by the way, is a video from Pagasa that they embedded in the website, right? And they're they're saying, okay, here's what you should pre- prepare for in this weather system, right? And because because Rappler satisfy more search motivations than Pagasa, it's fair then that that is what appears on search, and that it's fair that that is then what satisfies search motivations. Is it any wonder that Google puts them at the top of the page results? All right. Now, one last idea before I jump into questions. I wanted to show you guys this, right? Like, this is just a quick thought, or this is just a a quick convo. On this screen is like a splatter of different ranking factors. It's a splatter of different relevance factors, like the things that make you appear on search, the things that make you rank on search. And, you know, in the middle of it, I put an image of Google Rank Brain. And what I wanted to explain here was... I want everybody to remember that Google is very AI now. Like I, I know there's a lot of talk, but RankBrain is sort of like, it's super not new, right? It's super not new. 10, 12 years ago, in order for Google to advance how the search engine performed, in order for Google to perform any tests about what a good search result was, engineers had to go in, make modifications to the search algo, find out whether it generated more clicks for users or did it generate less click-through, and then they manually adjusted these. That's not the case anymore, right? Google uses a search algorithm called RankBrain, and what RankBrain does is it takes a look at the pattern of behaviors that users have, right? Do they care about meta titles? Then it gives it more weight. And then they'll realize, you know what? Users don't care about meta titles. Let's give it less relevance. Do users care about site speed? Okay, let's make it more relevant. Do users care about content? Okay, more relevance. Oh, look at that. Users don't care about whether pages have a lot of backlinks or not, then less relevance, right? So this is what I mean. It is not people that are manually engineering Google to to behave in a certain way. It is our collective behaviors that are saying whether a ranking factor is relevant and to which degree it's relevant, All right? Now, before I move on, let's hit some questions. Uh, okay. woo a lot of questions. <laughs> I got to scroll all the way up. Okay. Okay. So l- let's start with, with the first one, right? So the question says, 
Well, SEO matter if a startup is using a site with a paid or a, or a free domain, a paid or a free domain. Okay. So how I understand this is if you are a company.wordpress.com, right? And if you are a company.com, and the answer is yes, because most of the time, so ATLDs matter, .com, .org, .gov, .edu, like these things matter, right? So when somebody gives you a .club, .attorney, .whatever, right? Like that's nonsense. Like those TLDs don't matter. It'll be harder to rank. But when you usually get a free domain, it's probably because you've got a free website. And a free website has a lot of limitations. Like you don't know if you can do canonicals because you don't control the HTML code, right? You're, you're getting a free site. You don't know if you can control if it has, if you can generate schema. You don't know if it has an HTML generator. So there are a lot of things that you don't know. When you get a free domain, you're probably also getting a free website. And the problem there is the free website, right? You can't put all the optimizations that you want. If the free site is slow by nature, there's nothing you can do to get that to load in three seconds or less. So yes, but not for the reason you think, right? So the answer is yes, but not for the reason you think. It's because free domains come with free websites and it's the free websites that are very limited. Okay, let's take the next question. The next one is, which is more effective, a one-page website or a website with many sub-pages? Many pages, like always many pages. Uh, and, and I'll explain that, right? Remember it. Remember how I talked about ranking equity and then search visibility, right? Search visibility is how many ideas you're relevant for. The more pages you have, the more, able, the more you are able to satisfy search motivations. If you only had one page and you're talking about your brand and your products are there and whatnot and whatnot, but remember, a page can only have so many H1s and you only have the benefit of one meta title and you only have the benefit of one URL and you only have the benefit of, well, no breadcrumbs really because you can't go anywhere, right? And you can't get inner links because you have no other pages. So a one-pager is losing out at least on five or six of the things that I showed you that help signal relevance. So definitely a one-pager going to lose. Next question. Is it okay to embed the content of another company's website into your website through an iframe? We're offering a product of a company, uh, of company A, instead of creating... Okay, so I'll, I'll answer this. So the answer is, if you're embedding it via iframe, then great. Because, you know, an iframe is a JavaScript function, and Google actually cannot read what's inside, right? Google cannot read what's inside, so Google does not know you're taking content from somebody else. Now, let's say you did not do this via iframe. Is it okay? And the answer is yes, as long as you put in the proper attribution to the content. You're not claiming that the content belongs to you, right? So as long as you don't claim the content belongs to you, you put in the proper attribution to the content, you're saying this content belongs to these guys, then you're fine, okay? So yes, you can, you can use it. But if it's duplicate content and it's in an iframe, it's, it doesn't matter as long as... I hope the iframe is not the only content on that page, right? Then that becomes problematic. So next question. Okay. How long do you usually see results when doing SEO for a new site? Okay. Let's clarify something. Is it a new website or is it a new domain, right? Those are two very different things, right? Is it a new website or a new domain? Because 
The answer is, if it's just a new website, like take, for example, like remember BPI Express Online, right? Like we're talking seven, eight years ago. This was their old domain before they were bpi.com.ph. They revamped it. And so we, we worked on the new site, but it wasn't a new domain, right? So when you're working on the new site, fast, fast, because you can, you can acquire any equity they already have and build on top of it. But if you're talking about new domain, oh, long, <laughs> long. So I'll qualify that. It is possible to do fast. It's possible to do fast on a new website. But the question is, does the new website have any rich grandmas and rich uncles? Like, so what do I mean? Is the new website related to anybody that is more relevant than they are that can lend some authority, like in the short term, right? If there's that, then the SEO is fast. If there's not that, then the SEO is long, like you're talking long game. And then even then, that's influenced by the vertical. Because if you're fighting in the BPO space, in the call center space, in the real estate space, in insurance, very long game, right? So I think you'll understand this the moment I get the backlinks, which is actually the next topic that we're going to wind up talking about. Okay. Uh, oh, by the way, guys, if you have questions at this point, because the number of chats are massive, right? Feel free to unmute, right? I, we, we did not administratively block your voices, so feel free to unmute and ask the question. So I hope I answered the question about how long does SEO take for a new website, right? It depends on does new website mean new domain or does new website just mean new website, right? Hi, how do you implement the SEO me. strategy in the back end? Great question. The answer is, is the website built on what's called a CMS or a content management system, right? Like WordPress is a CMS, Magento is a CMS, Shopify is a CMS. Like is there an admin panel for the website? And is it not hard-coded? If it's hard-coded, I don't know why the website should still be hard-coded. No website in the 2020s, actually no website in the 2010s should still be hard-coded. All of them should be in a CMS because there aren't enough developers in the world to administer to all of the websites in the world. So you want websites that are manageable by normal marketers, normal writers, normal people, right? So how do you implement the SEO strategy in the backend? If it's from a CMS... Normally, you'll see an SEO function in your CMS, and then it will show you the allocation for meta title, meta description. Do you want to link somewhere? Is there an image you want to put an alt tag to? Do you want to put a canonical? So if it's built off of a CMS, the CMS has a function that allows you to implement that. Now, if you're particularly advanced, and let's say it doesn't exist, but you know how to do HTML edits, if the CMS has an HTML editor, that's also enough. Right. But ideally, CMS, because if there's no CMS, then only one kind of person should be doing the implementation of the SEO, a developer. Right. If there's no CMS, only a dev can implement the SEO's recommendations. How many keywords should be prioritized on a given page? Great question. Short answer, three to five. Long answer is it depends on what pain, friction, opportunity you're trying to satisfy in that page. Right. I only actively optimize a page for three to five ideas and no more than that. And normally it's like one to two keywords at best. The other keywords are just variations, right? Like SEO service, SEO services, Philippines, a professional SEO services. That's just one idea, right? So 
I normally limit it to three to five keywords per page with those three to five keywords not being more than one to two distinct ideas. But three to five keywords per page, I will manage to rank it for more than five keywords. But I only actively work on inserting a keyword in the H1, URL, meta title, body content for 100 words against three to five keywords on any given page. Okay, next. So do exact match and partial match keywords still apply? Okay, so great. Let's disambiguate. The word exact match, match types are not keyword types that exist in SEO. So match types are not keyword types that exist in SEO. Keywords in SEO are only branded, informational, commercial, transactional, right? But I think I know what you mean. So you're talking about whether it's a core term or whether it's a long-tailed keyword, right? Um, and when you say partial match, you're talking about long tails. And when you're when you're saying exact match, you're probably talking about short term. Okay. Do exact and partial match keywords still apply? And which one is more effective? Match types. So the exactness of the keyword is not as important in the on-page as it is in the off-page. So exact matches and partial, the exact matchedness and partial matchedness of the keyword is more an off-page consideration. Like how do people refer to you? Do they refer to you as SEO company or SEO company Philippines, right? Or do they refer to you as SEO company from Makati, Philippines? Or do they just refer to you as SEO company? So as far as a backlink is concerned, the exactness of the backlink matters in terms of which ideas you dominate. But in terms of on-page content, it's not that big of a deal. Right, Google's current algo is so smart that it understands context so that you don't have to do exact match keywords in X amount of density. Right, like Notice in those ranking metrics, I didn't say keyword density of 1%, keyword density of 3%, repeat a keyword once every 100 words. I didn't say anything like that because it doesn't matter anymore. The search engine is great at reading and great at comprehending. Okay, so I hope I answered that. Next question is, how do you increase search volume for a keyword you're targeting? <laughs> That's not an easy question. <laughs> okay. So, but it is doable. It is doable, right? So here's how I'll answer that. The short answer is you can, right? Because increasing search volume means you will influence the behavior of users. Search volume is about how many users search for a given term. So I'll, I'll give you guys an example, right? Let's say enrollments. If you guys went to Google Trends today and then you do keyword searches for tuition fee, enrollment, school admission, you'll notice that they trend very high in May. Like they peak in May. They begin to increase by April. They peak in May and then they decline in June, July. I don't understand why because, you know, I was born in another age where the school year is not the way it is now. But, you know... It peaks in May, but it is users that influence that search behavior. It is not SEOs that influence that search behavior. Can SEOs do anything that influence the search behavior? And I would say yes, but over a long period of time, right? Like as you help people, as you develop awareness, as you develop discovery, you might be able to help influence the search volume for a keyword. But I would say if it's the short term, the best way to increase search volume for a keyword is to drive top funnel awareness for it first, right? Like for me, if somebody said, I want people to become aware of my product, I want people to do more searches for water filters, water dispensers, ceramic mugs, 
right? Then the first thing I do is I would do a top funnel display campaign. Like that's the first thing I would do. I would get more people to search for it so that more people are curious about, yeah, you know what? I did need a couple of ceramic mugs, right? But SEO-wise, you can influence it. It's, it's the one thing you will be able to influence it like over time. But like, is there a direct strategy you can do? There isn't. Okay, next question was, okay, so what kind of work do we do with publishers? <laughs> Great question. Okay, so when people are publishers, the business model is different, right? Like publishers don't make money by acquiring a lead, selling them a service. They don't, well, they do, but you know, in a different way. They don't make money by selling a product inside their service. The traffic of their website, the number of users that go to the website is what matters more. The number of people that click on ads, if they're doing affiliate marketing, that, like that's the way they make money. So what we try to do with publishers is we take a look at what ideas are you almost relevant for that what ideas are you almost relevant for, but you're not relevant for because you're just missing some key hygiene. Like for the lack of a better term, we rapplerize your content. Like, I, and I like to, I always like to harp on rappler because their content hygiene is excellent. Like the technical applications that they, they put on their content is excellent. They use the keywords on the URL. They use the keywords on the H1. They refresh the content. They skyscraper the content. When I say skyscraper the content, meaning if this article is about this topic and I have something more to say about it, I don't write a new topic, add on to that article. And then I declare the I declare the update. Oh, I have something more to say about it. I update that again. Oh, I have something more to say about it. I update that again. And so what Rappler is essentially doing is they're creating a skyscraper of content, content that is more valuable, more original, more informative than anybody else that it's competing with. And so they rank. The other thing that they do really well is that when they publish a piece of content, if there is an excuse to link to an article before that they had already published, they will. Um, and if there is any excuse to link to any other article that users should read more on, they will, right? So Rappler just creates this really good content cluster. Like their articles don't stand alone. Their articles stand together. Right. And that's why they rank for a lot of keywords. And so when we work with brands, when we work with publishers specifically, this is what we do. We don't tell them, Oh, we'll write you content. We tell them we will help you cluster your content better. We will help you. So we'll normally tell them, okay, this is a great keystone article. Now let's take this article, this article, this article. Let's put them all into one piece. And you know what? I found seven others that are related to that. So let's point links from all of those articles back into them and get this parent article to link back to a service page, right? So that's the kind of work we do with, with publishers. Thanks, Vince. Let me see if there are more questions. If anybody has raised a hand. Okay, so there are a few more coming in. I'll address them like at the end of the session. Don't worry, we've got like one, two topics left, okay? So I know that there are a couple more questions coming in. I will give it the last 15-minute treatment. All right, so... We talked about the, the ranking factors, right? We talked about the ranking factors and some metrics. But to me, the most important things that make a website rank, like if you're going to pay attention to anything, it should be your content. It should be the speed of your website. So your site's core web vitals, the mobile friendliness of your website, and your backlinks, right? Like to me, if you were going to focus on anything on SEO, these need to be the things you focus on on SEO, all right? So let's move on. Let's talk about backlinks, which is 
you know, sort of like the dirty little secret and not really the dirty little secret behind SEO, right? So everything that we just talked about, think of them as quality metrics and on-page metrics. But backlinks are popularity metrics. So backlinks are popularity metrics, right? Like, I think if we say, you know, is Oprah relevant? Yes, Oprah is relevant, right? Smart, knows a lot of people, asks really great questions, produces really great programs. So that's what makes her relevant. Her experience makes her relevant. But one of the things that make her relevant is she's super popular, right? And so because human behavior is given to popularity, backlinks became a metric for SEO. I'm not sure a lot of people know this, but the idea of the backlink is actually what made Google a game-changing search engine. Like compared to Yahoo back in the day and compared to Alta Vista and Lycos and all of their competitors, the concept of the backlink is actually what made Google a very, the reason it was a game changer, right? And it was Larry Page that invented the concept of the backlink. This is why Google's first name, like back in the day when it was still a Stanford thesis, was called Backrub. And it happened because when when Larry Page was trying to do an experiment, he was trying to find out what was the most relevant book in the Stanford library, right? And he tried a lot of metrics to find out which one is a relevant metric or which one is a relevant metric and which one is not a relevant metric. And one of the things that he found was, you know what? What he discovered was the most relevant book in the Stanford library was Einstein's general theory of relativity. And one of the metrics that he used to determine that was to find out how many times did the general theory of relativity get cited inside the other books in the library? And that's how he came up with the concept of the backlink. Now, one of the things to talk about backlinks is a lot of people think that the only way to go with backlinks is to guess blog posts, find an SEO company. It saddens me to see that there are still a lot of brands that don't do the legwork when it comes to backlinks. So let me talk about a few, right? So when it comes to link building, There are leased assets and there are earned assets. So let me talk about leased assets first. Leased assets are, you know, places where you can publish your business most of the time for free, right? But you don't control the platform. You don't control the, you can control some of the content. You can produce the content, but you don't control the platform. You don't control the code. You don't control the data. You don't control the, you know, you don't control a lot of it. You don't even control whether they can take down your page or whether your page can remain live, right? Like you don't even control that. So pages like Brown Book, like Yellow Pages, Google My Business, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, these are what you call leased assets. Now, take note, they're not owned assets because you don't own Facebook, you don't own Google, you don't own YouTube, right? If they want to take down your content, they can because it's their platform. And so these are why we call them Leased assets. You are leasing spaces in these places to acquire a link back to your website. And they are very valid links, right? These are valid vouchers for your website. And in the Philippines alone, if I'm not mistaken, there are anywhere between like 60 to 65 resources that you can tap, right? And so these are what leased assets are. Again, there's about 60 that you can utilize in the Philippines alone. Hot frog. Uh, is another example. But I realize that there are still a lot of businesses that don't have a Yellow Pages listing, don't have an Apple Maps listing, don't have a Google My Business listing, don't have a Facebook page, are not on LinkedIn, don't have a YouTube channel, 
But these are places where you can create a link that points back to your website. So why wouldn't you have one, right? So these are links that you build. And this is why I also call these built links. Now, the next one are earned assets. This one's tougher. Like this one is tougher to acquire. Least assets are when you leverage your existing relation. You, this is where you leverage your real relationships into a linking relationship, right? We treat Adobo Magazine uh, and when in Manila as content partners. And so whenever there's an event, we invite them. If they think that that content is worth it, they publish it and we get a link back. That's terrific, right? Business Mirror and Philstar, these guys are friends. By the way, guys, I spend like zero on PR. Like TrueLogic has zero PR spend. We don't spend a penny on it. But we get published in all of these places because what we do is we create terrific content. We reach out to publishers and say, so we do the legwork, right? We say, hey, we created some really great content. Might be relevant for your audience. Here's a copy. Would you like to publish it, right? And they share it. There are people that share our podcasts. There are people that share our webinars. This got shared actually by some of our publishing partners, right? So what you do with your earned assets is you create content so good and then you push it towards a network where you tell them, hey, does this content matter to you? It's not always about, hey, how much would it cost? I think that's just the lazy way to do it. Plus, you know, technically speaking, an organic backlink in a paid press release is actually a no-no. It's against Google's guidelines, right? Now, one more thing that I will say is these are not the only way to earn assets. You can do, you know, there is guest blog outreaching where you talk to smaller time publishers, but they've got an audience of 10, 20, 50, 150,000 visitors a month, right? And that's still a relevant vouch, right? All you're after is the vouch. I've got an author profile and a couple of articles published on Tycoon Magazine because I wrote an article for them. Right. So, and sometimes that's what it takes, right? Sometimes they'll say, Hey, uh, okay, we will publish you as a guest author, but here are some of the topics that we need because it is a give and take relationship. You want a backlink. They want an interesting topic. Fair trade, right? So these are some of the ways that, that you could do that and the way you can get published in, in earned assets. If you want to find out more about earned assets, try Googling my name and then you'll see a lot of author profiles. Right. And those are all earned assets because those have backlinks. Like I've got a backlink pointing back to us with the Digital Marketing Institute. Right. I don't pay them for that, but I teach for them. Right. I've got a backlink coming from the Certified Digital Marketing Program. We don't pay them to acquire that backlink, but, you know, we teach for them. Actually, a lot of places where I have backlinks is because we teach for them. (laughs) Again, a way to turn your existing relationships into linking relationships. Right. Now, a couple of things, though, last few words, watch out for Web 2.0, blog comment, forum posting, these kinds of social bookmarks, these kinds of backlinks are already obsolete. So, A, I don't need you to learn them. I just need you to stay away from them, right? With that, right, here's why backlinks matter. Here's why backlinks matter. This is a, the result you're looking at is a page called SEMrush. And the numbers that I will call your attention to is the authority score and the backlinks, right? An authority score that's good is about, is 35. 35 is a good score, 35 or higher. If you have an authority score of 35 or better, when you publish a page, you can probably get it to appear on the first page of Google anywhere between 10 days to three months, right? It depends on the keyword competitiveness. But 
you actually can make really good time on SEO results on pages that have an authority score of 35 or better. Like, you know, whether that's on Moz or whether it's on SEMrush. But a 35 authorities or better is ideal. Less than 35, and you're probably talking months before you get a result because you're not authoritative enough for any specific idea. You're probably just in, you're probably just incidentally authoritative. Part of what influences your authority, A, is the age of your domain, yes, but B, it's about the number of people that talk about your brand. And what you'll see here on the right, and I can't zoom in because it's a preso, right, is backlinks say 1 million, but referring domains say 723. Backlinks is just the frequency of noise about you. It's all of the noise about you. But referring domains are the number of websites that do the talking. So yes, there's a million backlinks about TrueLogic on the internet, but those million backlinks, that noise is only being generated by 723 websites. It's sort of like, you know, I hope some of you guys have moms like this, right? But it's sort of like your mom telling you that you're the best looking son in the world, right? If your mom told you you were the best looking son in the world 365 days a year, you would get 365 backlinks but only one referring domain, right? I mean, it's a very authoritative domain because it's mom, but it's still only one referring domain. In this situation, referring domains, the number of C classes, the subnets, the unique domains, right? The number of websites that talk about you, that's the number that matters. In this box on the right, the 723 matter more than the 1 million. Now, do the million backlinks matter? Yes, but only insofar as that the last one is fairly recent. Fairly recent being, you know, 30 days, 15 days away, right? Because that means you're consistently relevant. Somebody's always talking about you every 30 days, every 15 days, every seven days. But the number of backlinks are not what matters. What matters is when did you acquire your last one? As far as power is concerned, the 723 is the one that matters. All right? Last word, don't obsess. With SEO, don't obsess over perfection. Don't stop because you can't hit all of the metrics that we talked about, right? There is no perfectly optimized website. There is only a progressively optimized website. And with that, I'll allocate the last few minutes we have back to the questions. I'm going to go from most recent to earliest, right? Because now it's in like reverse. So question. Are domain authority and backlink quality related? So the answer is yes and no, right? Backlink quality is more a trust metric, but the more quality backlinks you have, the higher the domain authority you get, right? So that's the yes. The yes bit is domain authority is influenced by good quality backlinks, right? Like aside from the fact that you have a technically strong website, that users, that you've got a good CTR, that users behave well in your websites, that they find what they're looking for, your satisfying search motivations. Aside from the fact that your website is great, when you get good backlinks, they increase your website's domain authority because a lot of other websites are vouching for you. So yes, they are pretty related. Okay, next question. How do you choose the right keywords for a newly built website? It's by following the, the keyword conversation that we had, right? Like, what is your brand? What products and services will receive the work that what products and services will receive the work uh, this month, the next 30 days, the next 45 days? But where are you putting your work towards which products, which services, which pages 
were received the work, and then you draw out, okay, one, two, three keywords, one, two, three keywords. You create variations and then you say, okay, I want commercially intentioned keywords. So you capture the three to five keywords that are commercially intentioned. And then that's what you work on in the URL, in the H1, in the content, in the description, in the inner links and so on and so forth. Right. So that's how you pick the right keywords, newly built or old website. I might be able to help out with that. Let me see. So normally what I like to do is I like to draw out the structure of ideas on a website in an org chart, right? Like, and everybody I hope is familiar with an org chart. And then I map out the keywords in an Excel sheet in that org chart. I say, okay, these three to five keywords to this page, three to five keywords to this page, three to five keywords to this page. But that's, that's sort of how I like to do it. So. When I assign keywords to a page, I make sure that I'm not trying to optimize for more than three to five keywords in a page. And I like to see in the org chart, am I targeting a commercial page, a transactional page, an informational page, just so that I know the kind of keywords that are appropriate to that page. But that's how I personally do it. Like that's how I assign the keywords to a specific page. Next one. When it comes to rebranding, which is advisable to create a new website or retain the existing website and just change the URL and other contents, thank you. Retain website. Like, unless the old website has baggage, always retain. Age is a relevance metric that cannot be faked, right? Like, you need it. So, whenever you have an opportunity to retain the old domain, always retain the old domain. By the way, right? Remember, BPI was bpiexpressonline.com and they are now bpi.com.ph. It is possible for you to retain the old domain and then redirect it to bpi.com.ph. Like all the pages from bpiexpress.com, like if you did bpiexpress.com slash online banking, if you type that in the URL, you will get driven directly to bpi.com.ph slash online banking, right? So you can redirect it. So always keep your old domain Unless your old domain has baggage, like it's got, like there's a love letter in the Google search console. There's a, Google has a love letter for you saying you've got a warning, you violated a guideline or whatnot, right? Like save for that, always retain your, your old domain. Next question, follow-up question to a new domain. Would it be better to build off-page SEO first than building more content? More of a question of priority. Okay, here's how I'll answer that. A lot of new websites I discover really obsess over their websites to the point that, oh, we're waiting on the site build to finish. We're waiting on the content to finish. We're waiting on the this. We're waiting on the that. And then after that, we'll start the SEO. I go like, no, start the SEO now. You don't need your website to link build. You just need the domain, right? You don't need your website to link build. You don't need your website to put up a YouTube channel. You don't need a website to build the Facebook page. You don't need a website for a LinkedIn page. You just need the URL. You just need the homepage URL. If you've got that, then, you know, publish a damn homepage and get on with the show. Start with the off page. And then when you're done with the drama of all of the content, then start doing, you know, when you're done with the drama of the design and, and the 12 stakeholders and the 15 cooks in the kitchen, then do your on-page optimization. But if you can't do on-page now, your off-page does not have to wait. Where resources allow it, do both simultaneously, right? So that's the answer to that. So one is not necessarily a, a priority. Oh, by the way, if any of you missed the earlier section, we're publishing this on our podcast and we're publishing this on YouTube, you know, just to make sure you know, don't feel bad. 
The recording will be there. You didn't miss a thing. Okay. Last question that I'll take because, you know, we got to wrap up. And here my team was worried. I didn't have enough content for like two hours. Okay. If your link building metric is increasing citation flow, CFNTF is citation flow and trust flow, how do you increase these two without affecting the current link building strategy? Okay, that's a fairly technical question. Okay, trust flow and citation flow are just majestic metrics for referring domains. So like some people use trust flow, citation flow, some people do referring domains and links. So in reality, CF and TF are not really SEO metrics. They're just majestic metrics. Ideally, anything that increases the number of referring domains you have increases trust flow. Anything that raises the number of links you acquire is citation flow, right? So if you're link building, they should normally increase. Like if you're link building, they should normally increase. But trust flow and citation, citation flow increases with the volume of links you have. And trust flow increases with the number of domains that talk about you. I hope that answered the question. There's a few more. When this gets published on YouTube and we didn't get the chance to address all the questions, please use the comments uh, or reach out to our team, but please use the comments on YouTube and ask your questions there. And we'll do a quick, like I remember last time I did like a quick five minute, 10 minute video doing a quick answers to all questions and we'll do a follow up with this. I'm sure the team's got another masterclass coming up. And remember, this is just the bare basics. We didn't even get into the details of SEO, which is like another 16-hour conversation. So for those of you guys that joined us, thank you very much. I hope I made it worth your time. And I'll see you again on the next masterclass. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the True Logic DX Masterclass SEO 101. If you wish to learn more about digital marketing, subscribe to the True Logic podcast channel available in your favorite podcast network or visit our website at www.truelogic.com.ph and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube.